We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and our summer sermon series is one that I am very excited about and that I have given a lot of dedication and time to over the course of my Christian life. One of the things that uh, became important for me, as much as I rebelled against it, is the local church. The local church is the vehicle by which God gets ministry on earth done. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not just leave us the word. He left us the church, the living creature of the word. And so our summer sermon series is called Pillars of the Local Church. Over the course of 15 weeks, we're going to be talking about some pretty uh, essential things to local church life, according to the New Testament, and what it actually means to be a local church. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, we've got a lot of different people preaching this series. Uh, Jacob will be up here preaching a couple of these sermons. Eli and Legan will be up here. And we'll also have our local BCM director, Joe Wood, uh, coming to preach some of these sermons as well. And so I'm very excited. Um, as we take a break from our series in First and Second Samuel, looking at the life of David, uh, really the goal here is to reestablish what the church is in our minds and hearts. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul to Timothy describes the church as this, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And what that means essentially is that the church is a strong, well-founded establishment. Um, the apostle Paul, uh, through his gospel to the Romans, or through his letter to the Romans, uh, writes about the centrality of the gospel to the life of the church. In fact, it's central for both the religious and the wretched. It's uh, central to the covenant community of Israel as well as the exiled community of the Gentiles. We're going to learn that the gospel brings people together today, and we're also going to learn that not only does it bring those people together, not only is it central to the life of all those people, that we're also going to learn that it is central to the purpose and mission of those people. And so with that, if you got Romans chapter 1, we'll be in verses 1 through 17. I want you to hear what the Word of God says to the Apostle Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son David, or his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's word to God's people. So when we become Christians, the primary means by which God rescues a person is through the proclamation of the gospel. Let me ask you, though, do we as a church know what the gospel is? What does it truly say? Is it just a message of good news? And is that news a person or an event? And what does it do? I think in the first portion of Paul's letter, we receive the answers to all of those questions. But before we dive deep into this, I want to proclaim the very gospel that we, not only we are talking about, but that Paul is talking about. Because I know that both Christians and non-Christians alike need the light and the life that it brings. So here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God made a known world and made humanity, male and female, in his image to love, glorify, and enjoy God, and to display to creation what God is like. Humanity failed to do this when we were presented the opportunity to usurp God's plans for our life by disobeying his commands and defining life on our own terms as created beings. This happened through our first parents, Adam and Eve. In their sin or rebellion, God justly condemns humanity to a life of suffering and death while exiled from his presence. And the only way to make ourselves right between God or make things right between God and humanity was a sacrifice that could pay for all of humanity's rebellion as well as recreate humanity with a renewed status before the righteous God. That's what Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, as well as the son of Mary and Joseph, did. As a human, he substitutes for human life perfectly, and as God, he can take the wrath of God and survive it, crushing death, sin, hell, and creating a new community of humans that are able to follow God by grace through faith, imperfectly, yet fully forgiven and justified. This new humanity one day will be united with our triune God at the last day when all will be made perfectly new and right in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we continue and strive in obedience by grace through faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, continuing his ministry here on earth. This is the good news that makes Christians Christians. It is the gospel that motivates Paul's letter. And if you notice, the gospel presentation, as they're often called in church today, that I just gave you, if you notice, it actually included that the church works. We're a new community of people that carry on the ministry of Jesus. And there's a reason that that's important for us. In fact, the first thing we learn, and this is our first point, 
from Paul is that God's gospel gives purpose to his servants. God's gospel gives purpose to his servants. Notice that in verses 1 through 6, Paul ties his entire apostolic mission to this gospel. He was made an apostle in accordance with the gospel of God, which God promised according to his testimony about the Old Testament Messiah and proven through the power of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So Paul mentions that grace and apostleship are what have been received by Christians by way of the gospel. And this is all in order that the obedience of faith may occur for the sake of God's name. He gives greetings of grace and peace from God the Father through the Son to the Roman church and exclaims his gratitude for their faithful reputation in the gospel, hoping to see the way in which God has produced fruit in them and longing to encourage them in the gospel. Paul says that he's unashamed of the gospel because it is God's power to save. And by faith, the ones made righteous by it will live, the Jew first and then the Greek. So if you hear some of the language that Paul is using, notice that the gospel does not come apart from a purpose. Like God's power to make people righteous, to make people new, is purposed in the proclamation of the gospel. And so as a church, this is what we need to know if the gospel, if we're going to be committed to it, and if it's going to be central to our life. We need to trust, as the church, God's purpose for our life since it's rooted in the gospel. So the very interesting thing is that the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, which is a passage a lot of us as Christians know, there is a phrase that's a one-word phrase uh, in English, but in Greek, it's, it's a multi-word phrase. And so when the uh, end of the Gospel of Matthew says, go and make disciples, that phrase in Greek is, as you are going about your life. As you're going about your life, make disciples. So here's the interesting thing. If you're one of these people in this room that struggles to know what has God called me to, know that God has called you to go about your life making disciples. In fact, when you wake up in the morning, you know, as a Christian, that moments in the coffee shops are not random. Every single one of them can be a gospel encounter. When you're in the grocery store, you know that you have the words of life. Every single one of those moments is an opportunity to be a vessel, though cracked, right? Though scarred, though broken, just as broken as the individuals in front of you that you'll see, it's an opportunity to tell them who can make great of their life through redemption because you have the words of life and the testimony of the one who can. Not only that, remember that Jesus told the disciples to go do that in his resurrected body. Know that he still had the form of a man when he did this. Notice that he did not take on his divine form in front of them. That's something really important. It's, uh, it's very interesting when you read the Bible to maybe notice the hidden implications. Uh, and that might be a little bit advanced sometimes, but 
uh, as you're taking a deep dive in the scriptures, remember that Jesus appeared before his disciples as a human. He intended humans recreated in his power to go and do what he did. With the power of the Spirit, the promise and assurance of our adoption, knowing that the enemy cannot rule and reign. Sin and death have lost power. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So therefore, as you're going about your life, we make this gospel known in the way we speak and the way that we live. The church at Rome was not actually one that Paul had visited and at the time of writing this letter. But in the gospel, as we said earlier, the church had a good reputation. In particular, this church was very ethically, ethnically and socioeconomically diverse, which did cause many issues for this church. You can actually keep on reading Romans if you want to learn about more of those. But the important fact is the fact that God is still working through them to produce fruit, which is something that not only Paul was eager to participate in, this was the testimony about this church in the first century. And Redeemer City, let me ask, like, do we think about the fact that our church has a corporate testimony? Do we think about the fact that we all, in being characterized in the gospel as individuals, do we realize that we actually carry a corporate image? We corporately carry the gospel. Notice when you read the New Testament, it's not just Romans. The Ephesian church has a testimony. The church at Thessalonica has one. The church at Colossae, another one that Paul actually never went to, they've got a testimony. There's a testimony, and similarly enough, it's about their commitment to the gospel. I felt like that's why this was right to start our series off when talking about the local church. These local churches in the first century, their testimony was rooted in one thing, the gospel, which produced hospitality in them, produced loving kindness and generosity in them, produced patience in the midst of trial and persecution. So this is our second point. The gospel produces a fruitful ministry. When we say this, we aren't just talking about a healthy Christian evangelism, which is most definitely a primary fruit, but we are also talking about spiritual gifts that strengthen the church. When was the last time you asked God how he's wired you to build up the body of believers that you're in covenant with? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone, whether that be Christian or non-Christian? When was the last time we sought the glory of God in the tangible expression of diversity within our church and our homes? After all, the story that Jesus gives people is a story of redemption. And the church is certainly not monolithic. Listen to Paul's words in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 26, and he explains the kind of fruit that we produce. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, which we do, 
Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Here's what this means for us. It means that we make sure that our personal relationship with Jesus is reflected in our public lives. The gospel makes sure that our personal relationship with Jesus is reflected in our public lives. The last thing I want to look at for us is the work of God in the power of the gospel and its implications for humanity. If you notice, and uh, for all my English majors in the room, you're going to love this, uh, we got a compare and contrast moment here, all right? Uh, Do you guys notice that in Romans 1, verses 1 through 17, there is more emphasis on the work of God than there is the work of us? Here's an example. Uh, Real quick, just nine moments where God's name is mentioned in Romans 1, verses 1 through 17. The apostles are set apart by God in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. The gospel belongs to God. That's verse 1. The gospel is promised according to the Old Testament Messiah. That's verses 2 and 3. The gospel was declared in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of Jesus. That's the Trinity in verse 4. God provides grace and apostleship through Jesus. God loves specifically his saints in verses 6 and 7. God is witness to the faithfulness of his servants in verse 9. The gospel is God's power for salvation. That's verse 16. And the gospel reveals God's righteousness. That's verse 17. And yet, there's only four examples for us as human beings. Here's what it says about man. Christ calls servants. So in case you're kind of wondering, what's the character of Christ that I embody when I do ministry in his name? It's that of a servant. That's verse 1. God worked through David's lineage to bring about the promised Messiah. Don't forget that this man we've been studying who's a man after God's own heart, I think all of us know in this room that he's made quite a few mistakes. Humanity is to be brought to the obedience of faith to all the nations for the sake of Jesus. The community of God is not monolithic. The gospel is for those who have the covenant promises and those who don't. Obviously, you guys probably know this, but uh, we're not Jewish, unless you are Jewish in this room, in which case I apologize. Uh, But if we live in the West and we're born in the West, we're Gentiles, which means 2,000 years ago, we had no chance of receiving the Torah. In fact, we would be enemies of the Jews. We would have had no opportunity for these covenant promises to enter into our life apart from the mission of Paul to the Gentiles. And the gospel went westward in droves. Uh, There's a famous preacher, and uh, he's kind of young, which is why it's funny to say that about him, but uh, David Platt uh, preached in my seminary a lot, and uh, one day he brought a map and showed how Paul's desire to go to Spain, which is mentioned in Romans, He actually never got there because just like Jesus, he was killed in Jerusalem. Um, But the gospel did go forth from the Roman church as a product of Phoebe reading this letter. And he showed us three maps over the course of three centuries. And 
the maps were green, showing how far the gospel had gone. By the time we were at the 300s, the gospel was getting super close to the Americas. Um, and it's astounding to know that here Paul is hoping to get to Spain, and you're right here in Lafayette, Louisiana, as believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think we know that the ministry of our Lord is alive and well. Here's this last point. Clearly, God's gospel is the power to save according to his righteousness. God's gospel is the power to save according to his righteousness. You can't save yourself. If you're in this room and you have a really good biblical theology that understands like, yeah, I can't save myself. I didn't save myself. But you wake up every morning and maybe you're like me. Maybe you think about what you're going to wear for approval. Maybe you wonder if you truly have loved people well enough. Maybe you do wonder if you're good enough for the people around you. Maybe you wonder if people only love you not because of you, but for the people around you. Maybe you just attract the people that they love and so they feel the need to hang out with you. Maybe you're really insecure. Know this. God saved the insecure you. And he uses the insecure you to bring other insecure people like you to him who need a better security than you. (laughs) The gospel is God's power to save according to his righteousness. So church, let us proclaim the gospel knowing that God's power, knowing that it's God's power and it's not your power to preach. It's certainly not mine. It was, this is a hard sermon to write. One, because we all carry a corporate testimony as a living church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We carry individual testimonies. And most importantly, all of us are gifted by the Spirit and all of us are weakened by the flesh in various ways. That's what the Bible says in James, that we all stumble in many ways. But we trust the righteousness of God to bring about more righteousness in the world. And so we preach his gospel knowing that it doesn't depend on us. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a community of new people that exemplify and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the praise of God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do trust you to make the gospel known in us. And Lord, we ask that you would send us out as the apostolic vision that you see, God, that word meaning sending us out like a fleet. God, send us out like a fleet to proclaim the gospel, to make your glory known in all the earth, that, God, we would bring all kinds of people before your throne in prayer and proclamation with thanksgiving. And, God, we pray that you would give Redeemer City a reputation of being a gospel-centered church, that, Lord, those who would not love us because of the gospel and those who would flock because they see you being proclaimed in the gospel to our doors, Lord, let this be a gospel place. 
We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, trusting that you'll make all of this right. Amen.